do follow along as we read in the bulletin from that most beloved of all psalms, Psalm 23rd in the King James Version as printed here. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest the table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So we gather this morning around a very familiar text, Psalm 23. And I want to start by saying one of the reasons I chose this particular psalm, beside the fact it was in the lectionary, (laughs) out of all the other good ones, there's a lot of good ones, of course the great one from John's Gospel, John chapter 10. But Herb made an interesting point at Free For All, our time of gathering in sort of midweek about this upcoming Sunday text. He said the Psalm 23rd is about living, not about dying. And, you know, we use it a lot at funerals or memorial services, but really it has a lot more to say about how we live our life. And I think it would be a good practice if we read it every day. In fact, speaks to probably some sources moving us from places of insecurity to rest, which I would venture to say most of us could use a little bit of that. So as I think most of you are familiar what we're doing here, but if you are a visitor with us, we from time to time do a what we call a conversational sermon where I invite you to participate. So I will be asking a couple questions in a little bit, and we would love to hear your response as we have what I call choose your, you know, you, I don't, how many of you used to read the choose your own adventures? Okay, so this is like choose your own sermon. Uh, where is it going to go? I don't know. But, so I have three pages of notes, but sometimes we go in different places, and that's a good thing. Because I believe that as a community we speak God's spirit together. So that's why we do this. So let's start, let's just jump in. This first, the first piece, the Lord is my shepherd. A clear declaration that the Lord is our shepherd. Now, what does it mean for God to be shepherd? 
ancient Near East, of course, you probably know, they didn't use fences, but rather had large spaces where shepherds were guards of extremely important economic capital. Right? They didn't have the fences that we use fencing in livestock, but there were these open spaces, and shepherds were very important. Um, I think Lane said it best at Free For All. He says, notice here, it didn't say the Lord is my cattle prodder. (laughs) And he made an interesting observation that many cases, cattle will not follow at all. They have to be prodded, poked, using instrumentation. (laughs) But sheep, at least, given a little bit of guidance, will follow which I think is a gracious thing that God says about us here, by the way. Um, But we are prone to wander, and we need the rod and the staff. And, as we know, God uses both fences and open spaces in our lives to get our attention. We are vulnerable like sheep. That's where the analogy is is a very good one. In fact, I think it's interesting, too, that sheep normally are not aware of the shepherd's presence until they feel the pull of the staff or hear the voice of the shepherd. So I want to ask you a question. Do we even want a shepherd? Now, this is just think about it for a second. Do we even want a shepherd? Or do we want to be the shepherd? We need. Good. We may not want it, but we need it. Okay. Right. And so if you haven't noticed, most of us, when we get in casual conversation, we recognize because we haven't sort of surrendered to the shepherd and been acting more like shepherd, we tend to be exhausted. We tend to be out of breath. We tend to control. That was the word that we finally sort of was the consummate word at free-for-all control. What I love about the good shepherd is that shepherds didn't call their sheep in front of them yelling, here, sheepy, sheepy, sheepy. (laughs) But many times shepherds led from behind. And in fact, in this ancient Near East culture, a shepherd needed to be strong but not overpowering. If the shepherd was overpowering, the sheep would run away. They'd get frightened and run. But they needed a strong urge and guidance. And I think it's a great analogy as well to God. And so, this is where I want to move us to to think about why these two phrases are together. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I want you to think about that. What does it mean, and this I want to hear feedback from, what does it mean that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want? Or other translations say, I lack nothing. I want nothing. What does that mean? What does it really mean to get to a place to say, I shall not want? Okay? Peace. Okay, Phil's going to come around so we can hear what you're saying. 
Peace. <laughs> what does it mean to say, I shall not want? Um, it, to me, now, I think I never thought about this before, it, it, it says something without saying something, which is obviously the shepherd provides something, and so he shall not want. So therefore, what does the shepherd provide? The shepherd provides guidance, protection, community, food, home. And so therefore, if the shepherd provides something, what does the shelter, what does the shepherd provide? And therefore, the shepherd does provide something. What he provides fills it all. And so it takes care of the wants that I have inherited already. Um, Evan back there. It's not the exact translation, but I realize I have wants and I have needs. And I certainly, I need food or some shelter, but I find myself wanting things I don't need, mm -hmm. more or less when I'm bored or out of focus of what God, what is what glorifies God. Mm -hmm. Right here, Elizabeth. I would divide it a little more. The Lord is. It's Easter. He's risen. So first, I have a Savior. I didn't even know I needed. Um, and it's not, to me, the want of things. Um, it's the want of trusting the Lord being my shepherd. It's surrender to the shepherd. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Surrender. Others? Okay, Murtis over here. I do have a big mouth, you know. <laughs> <laughs> in those mo as I look back, mm -hmm. in those moments of my life where I did not know where to turn, where I did not know where the next step was, where I didn't know what to do, my God took care of me. He led me. He gouged me. He pushed me. But my God took care of me totally. Well, I... I think it is important um, sort of in, in taking hold of this moment and sort of the encounter of God in this moment. We're reminded, as Kathleen said at Free For All, that if we stay in the moment, we usually recognize that we have enough. As you're sitting here, you probably think, I have enough right now. And I think what happens, as she was saying, as we sort of project into the future is when we start getting anxious. That's when the needs that we think are not going to be met start growing and looming larger. And I thought that was a good point. Also, we raised the question, or Herb did, that said, can we have abundance in the midst of disaster? Because it's easy to think, oh, yeah, God supplies all our needs. What about those situations 
um, in Syria, and we, you know, we started coming up with circumstances. And, and which, Kathleen, at that point says, sometimes it takes disaster to realize we do have abundance, which was an interesting turn. Well, let's look what the scripture says as it continues. <clears throat> the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still water. He restores my soul. This image is of this, these frantic sheep that need some rest. And the shepherd knows that sheep can't just run up and down all day through valleys and ravines without rest. And so God calls us to rest and to be restored. And this is not just a glorified nap, by the way. Which is, I think, how I interpret it many, many years. <laughs> but it's really a, a reference uh, to Sabbath. As Herb said um, on Tuesday, of resting in God. There's a difference between just resting and resting in God, God's provision. And notice the imagery, the lush and loaminess of the meadow, the green grass. You can just see these little sheep with their heads leaning down and probably eating some blades of grass at the same time. And notice the shepherd leads them beside still or calm waters, not brooding waters or the waters of chaos that are there in Genesis 1-1, but calm and still waters. So I want to ask you a question to yourself. What is the water God wants you to drink from today? Now, sometimes, like sheep, we fall over, okay, and need to be restored. In fact, one of the words in Hebrew uh, for the word restore means to turn back over. So imagine that restored means to be turned back over. And I learned from one pastor who said that there's an old English shepherd's term for a sheep, since I know nothing about sheep, though I'm from Texas, um, so I have to learn from a good English friend. Uh, a sheep that it's turned over on its back can't get up again by itself. If that's the case, it's called being cast down. It's a sheep that's been cast down. And lying on its back, it, its feet in the air, the sheep flays away frantically, struggling to stand up without success. And as it struggles to get back up, its stomach fills with gas, which in turn retards its circulation which lends it, in time, unable to move. And in that state, it's most vulnerable to attack from wolves, clearly. And if the owner doesn't arrive on the scene in a reasonable short period of time, predators will always be drawn. They know. They keep their eyes out, actually, for these cast-down sheep. So I love this image when I hear and go a little deeper about the shepherd restoring us, that this is a literal turning back over when we were flat on our back. Some of you even literally been in that place. In fact, the literal translation, translation from Hebrew of restores my soul is this. My life he brings back. 
My life he brings back. In fact, in Jewish tradition, they have a morning prayer that is said when one gets up, thank you, God, for returning my soul back to me. And so I want you to think about and remember moments or seasons when God has turned you back over or returned your life back to you. At one time in my life, I was an executive in an insurance company, managed a department that underwrote malpractice insurance for 60,000 lawyers. Uh, They kicked me out because I was making too much money. I was getting too old at age 52. I then became a cabinet maker, which I did for 23 years, the best part of my life. The worst things that have ever happened to me have turned out to be the best. Thank you, Bill. In fact, because we catastrophize. When we're upside down, we let that continue to fester, and then the next, oh, well, that's going to mean this, and then that's going to mean that, and then what am I going to do? And we are filling up with gas. (laughs) That is the image. There it is. That preaches, exactly. There's another part of of that passage that you just read, which is, he leadeth me beside still waters, and sheep will not drink from rushing waters Mm -hmm. or even moving waters. So the shepherd leads the sheep to something they must have, Mm. which is still water, and there's a lot of analogies that go into that, that's for sure. Right. He leads me where I need to be. Where you need to be. I w- uh, okay. Then I'm going to ask you another question. Just in the last several months, I've experienced all of this. Mm. And it's beautiful. It's For me, it's a matter of complete acceptance Mm -hmm. of where I am so I can relax and not just rest, Mm -hmm. just let go. Mm -hmm. And then come times of laughter Mm -hmm. because he, his promises, sure. Thank you. That's a good segue to the next section, which I think, This poetry, which is what it is, moves beautifully into, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Notice that the poem has shifted from the third person to the second person, from the Lord to now you. You are with me. So what does this mean to you as you've probably thought about this particular line of scripture many times? Notice that it's not walking through the valley of death, but the shadow of death. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. What does this mean to you? 
Okay, Hunter, right here. Um, I'm taken with this whole notion of, of shadows. And mm -hmm. if we think about the shadow of death s simply being our physical deaths, I think we're shortchanging uh, the notion. Um, I always try to read the context around um, the Bible uh, passage that we have in the lectionary. And it's, it's always meaningful to me uh, because this passage comes out of the exchange between the blind man who Jesus made to see and the Pharisees. And they were calling the blind man and his parents and everybody to testify um, as to why could this blind man see. And um, so when Jesus heard about it, it leads right into this 10th chapter. He said, um, I came into this world for judgment so that those who do not see may see. And those who do see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees, and let's just think about the shadow, you know, the shadow analogy. Some of the Pharisees near him heard him and said to him, Surely we are not blind, are we? Jesus then said to, him, to them, If you were blind, you would not have sin. But now that you say, we see, your sin remains. So I think we have to think of that kind of shadow as well. When I think of shadows, I think of something that I perceive. And I, I don't need to be in a physical death for it to feel death-like. I think that goes along with our recognizing that our wants are met and that surrender that Joanne was talking about. Okay, Wayne here, and then Evan in the back. I think of the valley of the shadow of death. It's, it's those moments in life, and I think most people experience them when we get in those places where we think, this is absolutely the end of the road. Mm. I, can't, I can't go any further. It's hopeless. Mm. It's, like, it's like when you lose hope, and you think, this... This is the end. And the psalm, or yeah, the psalm that was read earlier uh, became a mantra for me historically back in the day of, of weeping may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning because, and I, I still remember praying, God, how long is this stinking night going to last? Uh, because... Uh, it, it was that valley of the shadow of death. It was like things look really bleak and hopeless now. Mm. It wasn't physical death. It was just a loss yeah. uh, of, of hope. It was kind of looked like the end of the road. Mm. But it wasn't. Mm. Mm. It was perceived. Evan in the back. It's, it, it, as you said, it goes from God 
being a shepherd to it really mattering that he's right there when it gets dark or troubling. And just think of, I guess, our kids, they know they're our parents, but it really matters when they see shadows in their rooms and they need somebody there. Mm. When it, it, they need someone personal and someone that um, responds, not someone that just exists and take care, takes care of things right. otherwise. Not just providing their food and basic needs, but real presence. Okay, Michael and then, oh, I, Charles. <laughs> I got it first. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> in, in New York City, um, I had an appointment in Harlem, and I wanted to take a shortcut through Morningside Park. We were war- warned at the seminary not to go through Morningside Park. Someone jumped out from behind a staircase and held a knife to me, asked me what time it was. I said, I don't know. <laughs> but I, w- I was scared, but I, I felt a calmness to just talk with the person and tell the person I was a seminary student and so forth. And after a while, he said, well, I've got to go back to my bank job. I knew that the Lord would take care of me. I knew that if he did hurt me, if I died, I would go to heaven. And I, I, won't, I think all of us need to be prepared that dangerous things can happen to us quickly. Because A, in, in one side, for, for, for the sheep, in order for the shepherd to guide the sheep, that shepherd has to be close by. A shepherd doesn't have a hundred yard mm. staff rod. It's what, maybe uh, 12, 10, 9, 12, 15 feet. Um, so, so the shepherd is physically there. So I, that's comforting to have the shepherd nearby. That's one. Number two, to know that the shepherd guides the sheep to go in a path, a path of safety. A path of community, a path of home. So, to, so, so, so. I imagine that it's comforting because that means the shepherd's there physically. That means that they're going to be in a path of safety, a path of protection. But, but also that, that to me, that same um, rod and staff that is protecting, that is comforting for the sheep, is death to the to the threat of the sheep. Because if a fox comes by, a coyote comes by, that will kill them. A shepherd isn't sweet. A shepherd has to protect the flock. And it will take it to the to the threat it has to to kill it, to protect the sheep, and to know that that our God loves us so much that He will go to any length to protect us. It's not just Sweden. Um, there's a story of uh, uh, I always think of when I see the shadow part. A father and daughter, I guess, or father and son, whatever, were going to a funeral because the mom died, and the father said when they were very sad, the father said. As a truck was going by on the highway, and which cast a very big shadow, they said, do you see that shadow? And he says, that's the shadow of death that hit, hit mom, and the truck is what hit Jesus. And, he's, and that really flipped things upside down. The shadow may hit us of death, but the truck hit him. And, um, and we're, no matter what happens, we're okay. Hmm. Yeah, the, the good shepherd has taken up in John 10, notice this, 
that Jesus willingly gives up his own life, that there is restoration and provision because instead of killing another, God chose to lay down his own life. I I think this is critical because in the climax of this passage, you have one of my favorite images, moving from shepherd to host, where it says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overfloweth. And I think this is powerful because it's one thing to be at a a party or a, a festival or just gathering at someone's house around table and enjoying oneself. It's a totally different thing to have a table prepared in the presence of your enemies and the sense of shalom that around this table it's going to be okay even though the enemies are, are coming in left and right. In fact, um, that word companionship, it, the Latin root of it literally means those who share bread. I think of this fellowship of faith, this, these people, you people, as companions, those who share bread, those who come around table, around life, in the presence of our enemies. And what are those enemies? I don't know what they are. Some of them are external. Maybe you literally have people that bully you or family members you haven't spoken to in years. Maybe it's weight of credit card debt or... Others you can just feel are out to get you or compete with you. Or maybe your enemies are internal, insecurity, jealousy, grief. But the promise of this passage is that even in the presence of our enemies, the table is set. There is oil to be anointed on your head and that your cup would runneth over. I want to ask, because sometimes, more importantly, the question is, we know and believe that God has prepared a table for us, but the question is, who is sitting at your table? I want you to think about who is sitting at your table. Maybe it's your wife or husband or a good friend or a grandparent, a grandchild. Maybe a pet under your feet or on your lap. But this is part of the healing God provides you at the table. That you can even celebrate, or as Kathleen said, in disaster you can even know provision. That you can be at shalom because you know who sits with you at the table and that God is host. And all are welcome at the table. Jesus' table practices in the New Testament, as you see is this radical new notion of who's allowed in in God's kingdom. He ate with everybody, even tax collectors and sinners. And that is what is so scandalous, because to eat with someone was an intimate act. And for him to eat with someone, a tax collector, a sinner, was to say that all are welcome at the table. And part of what we're called to is not just this individual, as much as I want you to be comforted by the image of the shepherd, and eating and resting and the good provisions. But it's also the task of knowing how we are to set table for the kingdom of God. 
that all are welcome at the table. Well, David ends the poem by saying, Surely, not possibly, but surely goodness and loving kindness, that beautiful word hesed, mercy, love, you hear it translated different ways, will pursue me, is what it says. Chase you, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is hopeful. It's hopeful because it's where our attention lies. That God's purpose is to bring us into abundance, now and in the future. And that the distorted view, these perceptions, as Linda mentioned, these shadows, or as Hunter said, the blindness, our self-deceptions, will fall away. And the people that are missing at our table right now will be at our table. God's table. There was a song I want to end with, a little Waterdeep shout out, one of my favorite bands, um, that gives an image of when we have communion for the first time with Christ. And it's a, a husband and wife singing it, and they, th- this is the line, or the last piece of it. It says, I hope we sit together when Jesus serves the wine. So I will look into your eyes when I taste it the first time. And I know there's no secrets when you're sitting at the table. But I believe we'll smile real knowingly when we read the label, it says passion, sacrificed, to keep from growing crazy. And we'll tip our glasses to the host who used to look so hazy. And drink it down all sweet and slow and slip inside his mind. And realize as it goes down, this is communion wine. This is communion. Friends, this morning as we reflect and respond, may we remember the call to the table, the water that Christ is asking us to drink from, and like that little girl reciting the 23rd Psalm from memory who accidentally said, may we say to the Lord is my shepherd. That's all I want. (laughs) Amen.